Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. This episode of The Read-Along is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, which publishes curiosity-driven stories, topical newsletters, and locally-focused podcasts, all in the service of informing Edmontonians about their community. Taproot publishes a weekly arts roundup, gathering up what's happening locally in theatre, dance, the visual arts, the literary arts, and more. It's curated by Fonda Mithrush, a veteran of Edmonton's art scene and co-host of I Don't Get It, a fellow member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Subscribe to the Arts Roundup for free at taprootedmonton.ca. A lot of Easter chocolate. So much Easter chocolate. Around the house. Delicious. Yeah. Most of it is not ours. Our children were spoiled by their assorted grandparents. The Easter bunny was very generous. One of our children is 14 months old. (laughs) So a lot of chocolate is not really a good idea. So I am being very selfless and uh, taking that upon myself. Yes. I'm a good mom. How selfless of you to eat all that chocolate. What, you want to give a 14-month-old a bucket full of chocolate? That is irresponsible parenting. (laughs) I keep having to remind Anita that we should keep a little bit of chocolate for her. And and I will. Like, I'm not saying she can't have chocolate at all. I'm saying that enormous bucket of chocolate is too much chocolate for her. Not too much chocolate for her mom, though. I am a seasoned professional. It's true. Anita does love chocolate. I can't argue with you. Have you seen my waistline? I'm very (laughs) pro-chocolate. With that said... Perhaps we should uh, move into our recap of our previous chapter, which was chapter two of our novel, in which uh, Nick gets invited to Johnny's place, where he is shown a shoebox that could solve all of the world's power problems, and definitely won't cause any other problems. Nope. What could go wrong? And that pretty much encapsulates what happens and segues us into chapter three of Beneath the Rising by Premi Mohammed. We finally have a very firm time and place. (laughs) After a couple, could it be, maybe, sort of, uh, guesses in the last two chapters. Some pretty big hints, but nothing concrete. We we now know for sure that this novel takes place in and around Edmonton, or at least starts in and around Edmonton. Yes. Our home city. Where we are right now in this chapter. (laughs) Uh, And it is June of 2002. Yes. uh, Because it uh, is mentioned that... Canada Day is around the corner. Canada Day, for those not Canadian, July 1st. So probably June of 2000. Yeah. So we're looking at the end of June 2002. It's uh, nice to kind of get a firm grasp on where and when we are. Yes. Yeah. And we know for sure is it is in Edmonton because he mentions that his mom has to put in a shift at the Gold Dust, yeah. which is a casino in the greater Edmonton area. Yeah, it's in uh, the suburb of St. Albert. Uh, it's not the Gold Dust Casino anymore. No, not anymore. If you wanted to do some Beneath the Rising tourism, uh, you could go and visit what was the Gold Dust Casino. Uh, it was turned into the Apex Casino in 2010, is currently the Century Casino, uh, which it became in 2016. So there you go. 
so you could go see what it used to be. Yeah. He also makes references to some local post-secondaries. Yep, Nate. Nate and Grant McEwen. Yep. Well, he calls it Grant Mac, but we live here and it's called Grant McEwen College. Uh, it's, uh, technically, it's Grant McEwen University now. But it was just a college back in 2000. Well, it's, when I went to Grant Mac, because I went to Grant Mac twice, it was first Grant McEwen Community College. Yes. And then it became Grant McEwen College. And now it is, I believe, Grant McEwen University yeah, College. It was, it I believe was, it's both right now. It was accredited as a university. So it does offer university courses. I believe it still offers diploma courses yeah. as well, though. So, yeah. So there you go. A little Edmonton insight for you. Yeah, a little bit more about uh, our hometown, where at the very least this book is starting. Again, I'm pretty confident that uh, they're going to do some globe trotting before the end. Quite so. possibly. So the chapter basically starts with Johnny calling up and inviting Nick and the fam to a pre-Canada Day picnic at her out-of-town little lake house, the creek. Yes. <laughs> I imagined it as, like, the estate. Yeah, it's a... Uh, you know... It's it's an hour or so out of town. It's a rich people getaway. So uh, and it, it does include a creek and its own little private lake, so something pretty small. But roughly as far out of town as, say, Pigeon Lake would be. Yeah, yeah. not not that bad. Uh, I don't recall if they say it's north out of town or south out of town or, or what. Uh, I don't know that we got a direction. Yeah, just that it is about an hour out of town. Mom stays home. It's just Nick and the kids heading out because uh, he presumes his mom wants to... Enjoy the house for a day. Take a break, maybe? Without the kids around, exactly. Yeah. Um, and Rutger is on the scene at long last. Finally, his um, flight has arrived. Yeah, which blows out of the water my speculation last chapter that maybe Johnny had purposefully ditched him. Because he does turn up. Well, she might have purposely ditched him anyway, but could only do it for a day or so. Fair enough. Uh, we also get a little bit more about Rutger here. He's less um, a security person, which we kind of got the impression about early on. Certainly I did. Well, because Nick calls him her... Handler, minder, yeah. whatever, something like that. Which to me implied a more of a chaperone slash security position. And while he does definitely act a bit as a chaperone because he's the qualified adult in the room, <laughs> um, he's more like her, her like scientific assistant. Kind of. Like he yeah. manages her labs. He double checks her work. He's he's more more like her uh, her science assistant. Yeah. In terms of job description, I think Rutger's kind of a unicorn. He does a little bit of everything. Right. Well. As opposed to uh, a security guard whose job is to handle protection and security, as opposed to an assistant, as opposed to a chaperone. He does a little bit of all of these things. He's not quite a personal assistant, but very close. Kind of, right? It's, like I say, he's kind of got a unicorn job description. Apparently, Johnny discovered him when she was six, and he was a bright university student, is the way that it's described. Which is weird to me. And kind of backwards, but there you go. She needed basically an adult person with a PhD around to add some legitimacy and weight to her discoveries because she was six years old. And uh, she was brilliant. So Rutger was like, yeah, I'll do that from the sounds <laughs> of it. so Well, because her family, I assume, because a six-year-old probably doesn't have a lot of money, her family paid for his education and I assume now pays his salary. One would presume, well, I would assume at this juncture, Johnny pays for his salary. Well, you know what I mean. Johnny's mom has been pretty absent throughout this uh, book so far, and I feel that that's a little telling. Probably. And, I mean, it might be more a case that Johnny's just so smart and so far ahead of her mother that her mom just can't keep up and busies herself in her own little things mm -hmm. um, and trusts Johnny to be brilliant and do amazing things. But the fact that Johnny's mom has not been in the picture at all so far does tell me that that relationship is maybe not strained, but certainly just like 
a little distant, mm-hmm. a little was, arm's length. That's exactly the term I was going to use, just a little distant. Yeah. Well, they get their little picnic set up out at the creek. Johnny brings up post-secondary. We had mentioned uh, the post-secondary schools. This is where it comes up in context. And this apparently is a bit of a sore spot for Nick. Uh, she wants him to go to get even just a degree, just a college degree. Go for a couple of years to Nate, to Grant Mack. You don't need to, like, get a BA or something. Yeah, go somewhere and get something. She legitimately is like, it'll increase your earning potential. It, it could set you up for a better future. Nick's concern is that he can't afford it, both literally and metaphorically. <laughs> uh, it's way too expensive for him at this juncture, and he can't afford to take a couple years off of work because it would leave his family in a lurch. Right. Because he's one of the breadwinners for his household. Yes. This is clearly a fight they've had before. It's explicitly a fight they've had before. Yes. Johnny says, you need to follow your dreams. And Nick counters, hey, if your dreams leave other people in the dust, they weren't good dreams to begin with. And kind of makes a really deep cut here where he's like, you're lucky you never had to worry about that. And she can't argue with that because she hasn't. No, it shuts her right down. Like, she bites her tongue on that and Mm. is like, okay, yeah, no, fair. No, she has, even if she could come up with something, she has no legitimate comeback to that. Yeah, and apparently Nick feels a little, has like a twinge of guilt about having brought this up. Because apparently the class disparity between them is kind of just an unspoken elephant in the room and has been for a very long time. And this is one of the first times he's kind of put words to that. That's one of the reasons it puts Johnny on the back foot a little bit. And he recognizes that and he feels a little bad about it. Well, because you don't want to give guff to your friends. No, and I mean, he doesn't want to... While he is definitely a little resentful of her wealth, he doesn't hold it over her and he doesn't want to throw it in her face. And the fact that he kind of does here, in in a a moment of peak, he regrets it. (laughs) Yes. But it is a legit comment and it is enough to make Johnny back down and apologize and just be like, okay, I I get it. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. I don't mean to push. I'm just looking out for you because you're my bro. This is where we need to take a little sidestep. Because I want to talk about something. Okay. If you take race out of the equation here, Mm -hmm. it is simply Nick not being able to get over his pride. Oh, no. He straight up admits that. Yeah. In in a certain, like, in a roundabout way. Because he knows she is willing to help him. Oh, for sure. But he is so proud, and because he was raised that way, Mm -hmm. that you don't accept handouts, right? You work hard for what you've got. His pride won't let him accept her charity. And the best she can do is just kind of surprise them with gifts of knickknacks and stuff. Yes. She helps out a little bit, but it's because she knows that he would be insulted if she offered to help out substantially. A lot. Yes, exactly. The problem is now, and I'm very self-aware of who I am when I say this, is that you can't take race entirely out of it. You have to take stock of that. His, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, his parents were immigrants to this country. Uh, yeah, yeah, I believe that was mentioned in I, I believe one of the earlier chapters. If I'm, if I'm I not mistaken, he is a first-generation Canadian. Which, unfortunately, even now, today, even here, uh, unfortunately, that puts him at a disadvantage. So, socioeconomically, he is disadvantaged. And I don't think there's anything wrong with him accepting help to try and even the playing field. However, by doing that, it's the angelic, caring white person looking after the poor, downtrodden brown person. I don't know how to get over that. The good news is that's not the situation. No, I know. But I think that's something that's holding him back. Uh, Potentially. He doesn't say it outright, but it's got to be there underlying. Yeah. Right? If 
if he asked, Johnny would almost certainly pay for his tuition and would almost certainly support his family while he's going to school. Yes. Because she cares about him a great deal. Yes. And she is fantastically wealthy. It's mentioned that even though a lot of what would be profits from her inventions and whatnot uh, are just funneled right back into more science, she still has a base level of wealth that is unimaginable to them. She, again, almost certainly would help if he asked, but he can't bring himself to ask because it's against his upbringing. And that, <laughs> that bothers me on like a deep level that bothers me. At risk of, <laughs> at risk of going real like hard left here, it's the self-defeating philosophy that is ingrained into the lower class that you don't need more wealth being given to you from those with the wealth you just need to work harder to earn the wealth that they have when that is both self-defeating and obviously incorrect yes and really really hard to do oh incredibly that's very much the mindset that nick finds himself in yeah yeah and it bugs me because he could pull his family out of the poverty that they obviously live in if he accepted this charity for a limited amount of time. But that would be cheating. I know. And it would put but him... But it's not, and it though, would make him, but it is. And it would make him indebted to her. It's not, though, but it is. It's just the way it is. I know. I think I'm just upset about racism right now. <laughs> that were reasonable. You should always be upset about racism. At risk of changing the subject, Nick changes the subject. <laughs> uh, he brings back up the shoebox, or the chamber's chamber, as Johnny wants to call it. She mentions she actually had another more or less sleepless night working on papers and getting the details and all that, and still hasn't actually been able to solve the noise problem that it's making, the weird right. resonance. That weird buzz. Nick actually is amused, and uh, he brings up another one of her arguably character flaws here. Johnny's a bit of a control freak. <laughs> a she, bit? Like, the, the, handling the paperwork and getting in touch with people and trying to iron out the wrinkles in this invention could have, like, Rutger could do that. She could uh, have an entire staff of people to do stuff like that. And she almost certainly has a staff of people who could do that. But she needs to do it herself. And apparently this is something that infuses all aspects of her science work. She needs to have her fingers in all the pies. And that's one of the reasons she's, like running on caffeine and an hour of sleep all the time as well. Because there's not enough hours in the day for her to do all the things she feels she needs to do. Mm -hmm. Or that she wants to do. Nick calls out to the boys to come eat and gets no answer. And around this time notices the birds have also gotten really quiet. Right? Like the world just gets weird and creepy for a moment. Johnny recognizes this too and she gets up and... They kind of look around, and this is when Nick notices something slender manning through the trees. <laughs> yeah. So it's something uh, really tall and black. And first he thinks it's a bear. Yeah. Right? Because it's really dark. But it's too tall and too thin. Yeah, but it's tall and thin, and it has a not face, not head something he, on top of it. He kind of likens it to like a skull face. Kind of. Which is why, like, I visually, my mind went to Slenderman. And so that's why I said something Slendermanning. <laughs> right. Well, and rightly so, because that's the basic description of Slenderman. Johnny is instantly on guard. And she tells Rutger to go grab the van and for Nick to get Carla inside and, and lock it while she goes and gets the boys. Nick tries to object because he he's like, oh, I'm, I'm the dude. I should go and look for my brothers. Ugh. And she actually knocks him down surprisingly hard, enough to bruise him, and then takes off into the woods. By the time Nick reacts, Rutger's already 
packed up Carla and is headed for the van. And Nick kind of panic runs towards them. Yeah. Well, he's scared, right? There's something creepy in the world and Johnny's on edge and going after something. Yep. Like, run inside. Yeah, he's scared. That's fair. He trips on the gravel road and gets hauled back up by Johnny, who has the boys in tow at that juncture. Rutger pulls up with the van. Everyone packs in. And there's, like, a panicked moment as they drive away where everyone's like, "That, that just happened, right? Like, they abandoned their picnic. Yeah. (laughs) Just ran away. Nick can tell Johnny is disturbed, but she and Nick kind of get the kids calmed down. They put on a movie. They uh, promise some cheeseburgers on the way back into town. Johnny tells, like, a not convincing lie that they had disturbed, like, a a hornet's nest or something. Yeah. I don't remember if it was a wasp nest or a hornet's nest or something, but they had to get out. But she and Nick share a meaningful glance. And and Nick knows this is her saying, yes, I know. We're going to talk about this later. It's like, yeah, we're just not going to talk about it in front of the kids. Yeah. So they meet that night at a neutral location, uh, a park far from either of their homes that uh, Johnny insisted they walk to. Yeah, and it's dark out. Yeah, so that they could not be followed. It's dark out in June in Edmonton, so it is late. Yes. It is late at night. Well, they uh, he mentions it's near midnight, I believe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and there is more aurora in the sky, which we now know is a little unseasonal, certainly yeah. to be able to see it in the city. A little. Yeah. I've seen Aurora in the summer before. Nick is still physically rattled from the encounter at the creek. Like, he's still feeling the heart palpitations from it. Yeah. (laughs) And Johnny starts out by kind of talking in circles around it. And Nick recognizes it and kind of calls her out on it. And she admits, look, if I tell you what I actually think, I'm worried that you're going to think that I'm a crazy person. Also, I think that's just how her brain works. Well, we'll get to that in a sec, yeah. (laughs) I think that's part part of why she talks in circles and sputters stuff out. I think that's just how her brain works. Oh, it for sure is, yeah. She also says for the first time that the other day, Nick wasn't the only one who passed out. They both passed out. Mm-hmm. And she just woke up sooner. She just woke up first and hadn't mentioned it until right now. And Nick doesn't really catch on to that, but I caught on to that. They both <laughs> passed out uh, when that thing was turned on. And she wonders, did we pass out because of the magnitude of the realization of what I had invented or was something else going on? Was it the weird buzz? Yeah. And Nick is like, if I didn't know her better, that would sound really egotistic. Yes. (laughs) Or she's just casually like, yeah, I'm I'm about to change the world. Was that enough of a mind-blowing revelation that it caused us to both faint for a minute? We were both like, oh, no. That we swooned? Cold cold fusion. (laughs) To my fainting couch. (laughs) And this is where he discusses kind of the way he knows that her mind works, which is that it kind of zigzags in a nonlinear way through problems, which is why she's very good at solving problems and needs to always have problems to solve. <laughs> her brain gets bored. It also means that she's often seeing issues from a different angle than your typical scientist would be, yes. which which he says, he even says it, it's not to say that she's smarter than most scientists. Just because of the way her brain is wired, she's looking at things from a different angle. It's like adjacent to how most scientists would work. Yeah. She's not smarter. She's just different. It's kind of the way Sherlock Holmes works on a mystery. Except he is very linear. But he is not obviously linear because he makes connections that a normal person would have trouble picking up on. And it's kind of the same way she works through science. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Her train of thought is very linear to her. (laughs) Yes, to her. In the same way that Sherlock Holmes is very linear to him. Exactly. Exactly. Now, Nick says, I actually thought it might have been the heat that thing was generating that caused us to black out. And she's like, nah, I don't think that was the case. And then she kind of lays out her theory about what they saw in the woods that <laughs> her day. Her hypothesis, if yeah. you will. She posits that what they saw was a, a watcher, 
an entity of some sort that peers through the membrane of realities where impossible things happen to realities where they're not supposed to happen. To her credit, Nick doesn't discount this out of hand, though he does admit it doesn't sound very realistic. Yes, and I think someone else would have completely dismissed it had they not been at the creek oh, yeah. and experienced the weird feeling and seen the thing in the woods. Oh, yeah, because they both confirm here that they, they were looking at the same creature. Like, what yeah. he saw, she also saw, a weird Slender Man thing. Yes, and their weird description of it matched up, even though it was vague. Yeah. Now, Nick's main source of fear here, and he is scared, is that Johnny is scared. Right? Because she's the smart one. She's the one who's got all the solutions. She's the one who's probably usually telling him, nah, it's fine, and here's why. But in this instance, she is also not sure what they saw, and she's clearly spooked by it. And that enhances his terror. Yes. <laughs> when the not scared people are scared, you should also be scared. Yeah, when the super genius is looking at you going, I don't know what's going on, you scared. <laughs> yes. And he has a little flashback here, and we get the full story of the first time they met, actually. Now, he has more vivid memories about them both being in hospital together. And he doesn't really remember the stuff that happened before. But Johnny once told him what happened before because her brain works different than his and she can remember the stuff that he blocked out his trauma. Well, yeah. And partly because of retrograde amnesia from So what we know is that he has a normal brain and yeah. she has an Abby normal brain. <laughs> It came up when they were playing at her place in the sprinkler one summer day, and they had been called inside, and her mom had flatly refused to let them in until they had changed into some dry clothes. And so they had changed, changed clothes. They were, they were kids, and there was some modesty involved. But uh, Nick happened to see that she had a weird scar on her back and asked her about it later on when they were inside having lunch. She flat out just told him, well, it's the same as the scar that you have on your shoulder. And he was like, that can't be right, because my mom told me I was born with that. And she's like, no, no, we were both shot as kids. And the <laughs> bullet went through me and lodged into you, and that's why we have similar scars. And that's why we met in the hospital. And he's like, oh, what? Yeah, and then she tells him the whole story because she knows it and or remembers it. Oh, she probably remembers it perfectly clearly. Mm -hmm. Well, Because yeah. that is the way her brain works. Exactly. They were both at a charity event at City Hall. There they was, were part of a children's choir. And they were uh, taken hostage by terrorists. Yeah. And when uh, several days had passed and the military was sent in to break up the hostage situation, it went terribly pear-shaped. And they are the only survivors. <laughs> so they are bonded not just by friendship. They, are, they were bonded by the same bullet. I am now convinced that... Every book I decide to read is going to have children getting hurt in it. Yep. Because that is my curse. Sorry about that. This technically was my choice. I did not know that that was a thing in this book. That's right. The last one was technically my choice, too, and kids still got hurt. No, the one before. Sorry. It doesn't matter who chooses it. If there's a book in my life, apparently it involves children getting hurt. Which is absolutely one of your triggers right now. Mm. Well, the good news is they both survived, despite it being a little touch and go for a while. They were both quite young. They bounced back fairly well. Nick blocked out the traumatic experience as best he could, and Johnny's just smart enough to put it behind her, I guess. I guess. For the most part, at the very least. It is worth noting at this time, as two native Edmontonians, if you are not from Edmonton, this particular event has never happened. Yeah. 
there Scott- was, it would have been national news if this was a real thing that had happened. So this is part of our alternate history. Yes. And I would have been in my early 20s when this happened, and I'm pretty sure I would remember it. Yeah. So. A funny story. After I had read the chapter, uh, Scott read it first this time, and after I had read it, I came back downstairs, and I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to have lots of things to talk about. And almost out of the blue, as if he was trying to read my mind, Scott went, there was no such terrorist attack. And I was like, I know. Okay. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> Yes. It was funny. So, but uh, for those of you who might not be local and, and were curious, that's not a real thing that it happened. That is part of our alternate history. Yes. We also come back to the present here. Johnny is uncertain if she should tell him exactly what she suspects is going on. And partly, I get the impression it's because she doesn't know and she'd rather give him something concrete. But also because, again, she's worried it's going to sound crazy. See, I'm, I'm torn on that. Yes, it's possible that she doesn't know and still has to figure it out. But based on how the chapter ends, I think she does know and is scared to tell him. Well, she definitely suggests that it's dangerous knowledge. I think it's possible that in this moment she suspects. And when she notices the Aurora Borealis a few moments later, that clinches it for her. Okay, fair. Because this is around the time when she finally really actually notices the aurora. Nick had made an offhand comment about it before, but she wasn't really paying attention. Well, he points it out and she looks in the wrong direction. Yeah, she's not. She's only kind of half paying attention. Yeah, she looks up into the sky and where I think she thinks it's supposed to be. Yeah, and doesn't see it. And then when he points it out, she knows. Well, that's wrong. And he does mention uh, that it is definitely more blue and purple than normal. <laughs> yeah, which he had noticed the night before. Aurora borealis is uh, very white and green. Generally, usually. yeah, bit of yellow sometimes. Um, and he mentions the night before he had also seen a shooting star uh, with the aurora, and she answers. Did you? And it is not a question. No. And that ends chapter three of our novel. Yes. So my guess is things are about to get even weirder. Yeah. uh, We were wondering if things were going to go spectacularly wrong or be a bit of a slow burn. It looks like we've decided to slowly increase the heat on this one. (laughs) Which is fine. Yeah. I'm into it. uh, Things are definitely already starting to go weird, though. Yeah. And I mean... It's obviously linked to the fusion reactor that Johnny built. Well, obviously. And the strange hum that it's making. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'd point back to last episode's Lovecraft box with the Tillinghast device. <laughs> yes, quite. And I suspect that that might be kind of what's going on here, is that uh, the power source she's invented is either drawing energy from or has broken down the... Uh, barrier between our reality and a different reality or their reality and a different reality which means that there's something someone someone's paying attention they're definitely paying attention now yes and it seems unlikely that they just happened to be at the creek looking around for them right yeah Mm. so yes things are getting mysterious indeed and (laughs) horror-y Uh, but we'll see how much more horror they get as we uh, go into chapter four of our novel, uh, which you're going to want to read up on in time for next week. And in the meantime, you know, Johnny has invented an unlimited power source, and that sounds fantastic. But in our real reality, uh, such unlimited power does not exist, and thus you still do have to pay for your power. But the good news is, if you live in the Edmonton area, there are places where you can go to perhaps get a good deal on that and other utilities. Anita's here to tell you about one of them. 
This episode of The Read-Along is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you are choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference in their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kazowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. Park Power. Good people over there. Doing good. Uh, you can check out more about Park Power online. While you're online, you might also check out the Alberta Podcast Network website where you can find other great podcasts. Uh, I your... believe we are up to one bazillion podcasts. That is factually inaccurate. Probably. You can listen to them uh, basically by following the links at albertapodcastnetwork.com or you can find them on your uh, podcatcher of choice while you're there. Give us a little rating and review. We appreciate it. We'd like to share that appreciation with the world on social media. <laughs> yes. Your social medias of choice are Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the read-along on most of those. Yeah, if uh, social media is not long enough for the loving tribute you wish to send to us, <laughs> you can uh, certainly send us an email as well. We are the readalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. For mysterious happenings. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along and check out our group on Goodreads.com. <laughs> <laughs>